Hello, everyone. My name is Nancy Fulton, and I'm a writer-producer. And um, if you want to, I do run events for 25,000 entertainment industry pros. You can look them up on nancyfultonmeetups.com or entertainmentindustryevents.com, and you'll find uh, events coming up and also recordings of events I've done in the past. And tonight we are here with um, Larry Jordan, who has uh, amassed a huge number of credits, including Fallen, Assassin, Deuce Bigelow, Male, <laughs> Male Gigolo, CSI Miami, and NYPD Blue. And he's worked um, for um, some of the, lar- the world's largest entertainment companies, Time Warners, Sony, Fox, MGM, HBO, Netflix, and Disney, as well as having worked with many of the top creatives in the industry. And um, with having said all that, Larry, do you want to talk for a few minutes um, about how you sort of moved into the industry, and maybe this is a good time for you to mention the um, solution that you've built to sort of pass on your knowledge of editing uh, um, to people that are just coming into the entertainment industry. Sure. I mean, uh, it's a bit of a long road, but uh, I'll I'll try to make it, uh, you know, I'll try to edit, uh, (laughs) self-edit. And, uh, you know, I got into the industry. I was born into a family of craftspeople. Uh, my, my, my grandfather was a projectionist and a sound engineer. Uh, he started as a kid back in the Nickelodeon days in Times Square. And uh, subsequently, my father uh, became uh, a film editor, started out in the animation business, and uh, eventually moved into the commercial business. And, at one, and this was at the birth of television commercials in the 1960s. He had 60 people working for him at one time. So I kind of grew up around film. And uh, and then, of course, as I got older in my teenage years, a lot of people that came out of my dad's shop moved into feature films. And, you know, being from a film family, we loved movies and we loved TV and we watched a lot of it. And, um, and, and a lot of films, obviously. And, you know, honestly, I couldn't imagine having ever ever doing anything else except for working in, in some facet of motion pictures. And I, I loved cinematography, and I, I loved, uh, you know, acting. Uh, but I, I eventually found myself sort of gravitating towards editing because uh, it was something that I really knew. I had a lot of hands-on experience, even as a, as a kid. And, um, and, and I thought, like, and I learned that that's where, you know, films actually get you know, sort of shaped and made, and you solve a lot of problems. And and it was a very satisfying, you know, career. Uh, so you, that's what I did, and I worked my way up, and I was very lucky. I worked for some really great editors. I worked for the legend, legendary Dee Dee Allen, uh, who cut Bonnie and Clyde and, and all of Paul Newman's films and Warren Beatty's films, some of Warren Beatty's films. Uh, I, I, I worked for a Lindsay Klingman, who... who Worked, uh, who cut hair, and was one of the editors on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. She was an amazing editor, and I, and as an assistant, I kind of came up under these people. I worked for Richie Marks on Terms of Endearment. That was one of my first films. I was an apprentice editor. I mean, one notch above Schlepper, and um, but you really learn a lot being in the cutting room with these people, even if you're not directly editing yourself. You learn the practicalities of everything from how to work with the film to office politics, which is very important in our business. 
Um, and then, of course, came the dig digital revolution, and I saw it coming uh, with videotape, but I wasn't really that interested in videotape because it had a lot of numbers, and I really, you know, didn't like numbers. I wasn't, I'm not really a math person, <laughs> and I sort of ignored videotape and stuck with 35-millimeter film and continued on my assisting career, and then um, sort of like when I was getting ready to make the transition to full editor, uh, the digital uh, editing explosion happened, and it changed everything. And I saw it very early on, back in the early 90s. And when I did see it, I, you know, a light went off. It was like, that's it. That's my future. I got to learn that. So I immersed myself in digital technology. And it was a whole new world to me because I wasn't really a computer guy, but I became one. In fact, I was working on Little Man Tate, with Jodie Foster when all of this stuff started happening. And she had like a Macintosh in her room, a color screen Macintosh, and it was really high end. And when it broke down, somebody from Apple flew down to fix it. That's how awesome it was. And she let me hang out and, and play on her Macintosh. And, and, you know, and I was teaching myself about, you know, sort of like the fundamentals of this stuff. And I was off to the races. And I learned the Avid Media Composer, which is the primary tool of professional film and television editors, uh, even though you hear a lot about Final Cut Pro and, and Adobe Premiere. I mean, they do have their place, but, but Avid is, you know, what 99% of all film and television shows are, are edited on to this day. Uh, and I became kind of like the guy. I was like the young hotshot who knew digital editing. And I got this job working at Stephen Bochco Productions for, uh, on a show called Civil Wars. And um, soon after that, they they went into development and, and pre-production on a show called NYPD Blue. And Greg Hoblet, uh, the director, Greg Hoblet, uh, from Hill Street and, and all the great Bochco shows, asked me if I wanted to cut the pilot for NYPD Blue. Wow. And um, it was just like, yeah. I mean, it was just such a thrill, and I was obviously honored. Uh, to be in the room with people like Stephen Bochco and David Milch uh, and and just that whole crew over there, it was fantastic. And the show was a huge hit. We you know, got nominated for 26 or 29 Emmys the first season. I got nominated. and um, But I wanted to do features. So I, I, you know, I kind of really sort of like was, you know, focused on that. And, um, you know, back in those days, Television was a little bit sort of like I don't want to say looked down upon because obviously NYPD Blue was such a was an excellent product, um, but features were you know I came up in the days of like The Godfather and Apocalypse Now and like I said Bonnie and Clyde Dog Day Afternoon, you know uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I wanted to make those kind of you know sort of like epic feeling movies that really moved me and I knew moved other people. Um, so that's what I went for. And, you know, I just sort of like, just tried my best to, to get into that rotation. And I, you know, I got lucky. I did, I did cut some, some fairly decent movies. Greg asked me to cut Fallen for him with Denzel Washington a few years later. And, uh, hey, and you I, got and to work I, on Little I, Man Tate. That's one of my favorite films, actually. I did. I did. That was film. still on film. Um, but, you know, working with Jodie Foster was, you know, again, it was just a real thrill and a privilege she is such a smart and delightful person. And uh, my mentor, uh, Lindsay Klingman, uh, basically cut most of, most of Jody's films as a director. 
I got my first associate editor credit on that on that film. So it was uh, it was really great and a lot of fun. So and actually, you just did um, Naked, starring Mar- uh, Marlon Wayans and Regina Hall for Netflix. So you're still, um, I mean, yeah, Netflix yeah, still... is, is the new television, isn't it? Well, Netflix is not only the new television, but they're they're making a lot of original feature films, and mm-hmm. um, you know they are the new studios. I mean, Netflix and Amazon. And now Apple is moving into original content production. These are the new powerhouses. And frankly, there is so much work out there mm-hmm. um, for everyone. Uh, you know, uh, I read in the L.A. Times uh, a, a few months ago about how production has increased, you know, by a large percentage this year. And Post is always uh, sort of like still in L.A., uh, mm-hmm. Because once they shoot out of town, you know, a lot of stuff is shot out of town. Everybody still comes back to L.A. for the most part to to cut. I mean, obviously, New York has a, a pretty busy industry and, again, growing. Atlanta's mm-hmm. busy. Um, there, are, there are pockets, New Orleans and stuff like that. But most directors live here, and when they're finished shooting, they want to come back and cut close to their house. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, there's just been this explosion of, of of work and, you know, getting to the second part of what you had, had mentioned, mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons why my my assistant on, on Naked mm-hmm. uh, and I decided to create this course because it's the proverbial catch-22. You can't get a job unless you know, unless you have the skills and you can't get the skills unless you have a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, you need to get into a cutting room to learn the workflow. So we decided to create a course um, which teaches the feature film assistant editor workflow from start to finish. And, you know, parts of it can be applied to television, a lot of it, in fact. But um, we wanted to, to create a course. We wanted it online so people can access it you know, 24-7, 365, they could refer back to it and really sort of study the method. And mm-hmm. so it's it's not really a computer course. It's almost like a prerequisite to know the AVID, uh, to take the course. Um, but we, we go, like, we wanted to give kind of like the experience. So what is it like when you get the job? What are What are the conversations you should have with your editor to meet their needs? What are the pre-production meetings and post-production pipeline meetings that happen, you know, usually sometimes before you start shooting and other times in the first couple of weeks to, you know, sort of like know who your key players are, your your sound people, music people. You know, sometimes those people are involved very early on, your visual effects crew, etc. So we take you from like that very beginning stage and what the assistant editor's role is at that stage all the way through production, dailies, the editor's cut, the director's mm-hmm. cut, the studio's cut, the, and producer and studio's cut, and then we go, you know, in all the different versions and changes and, you know, and how, uh, you know, and, and the iterations of visual effects, how they start in one place and they end up in another. And then the finishing process, you know, sound turnovers, picture turnovers, uh, final visual effects, uh, the mixing stage, 
Uh, we talk a lot about music and working with the music editor. Mm-hmm. Music is such an integral part of, of, you know, really sort of like the rough cut and then the director's cut. I mean, we're delivering almost, you know, finished soundtracks mm-hmm. uh, digitally these days. It's not like the old days when you would have like a, you know, a couple of tracks and do it. You know, we're doing this stuff in the avid and it's very mm-hmm. complex stuff. So, and then of course finishing the digital intermediate color correction and now digital delivery, including DCPs, and um, you know, and and getting you know and delivering, you know, in different formats. Sometimes they still finish on film. So we talk about all of that, and we really, you know, aimed at preparing the aspiring film editor uh, as an assistant editor to you know have the skills they need to enter the field and the response has been great you know i got to tell you that people have really you know you don't realize how much you know until you talk to a person who's just starting out mm-hmm. and wants to learn what you know and you know these people are just so grateful and enthusiastic and have really great questions and the, and the course comes with a sort of like a private members only Facebook group where we can sort of, you know, they can ask questions and mm-hmm. get feedback and, um, and it's been terrific. And, it, and, and, you know, we've only been, you know, at it like six months wow. and we've, we've put over, um, you know, like 145 people through the, through the program already. And, um, uh, we're looking forward to doing more. We're going to be speaking at uh, NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters Convention in Vegas. Actually, at uh, we're speaking at Avid Connect, and we're going to have a uh, breakout session about the about the course and the training. And also, we're going to have kind of like an assistant editors roundtable. Really, that'll be very interesting. Um, yeah, tel- television and features, and and just so I say, the reason we did assisting is because. That is really the traditional path to becoming a film editor. I mean, sometimes people think they come out of film school and they've learned how to edit. They're just going to become an editor. You know, it's it's wonderful, and maybe it happens for a very small fraction of people, but really the route is to come up through the ranks. That's the way it's always been, and that's the way it is today. Well, I think particularly if you're going to be working with – if you're going to be working for one of the big studios or or Netflix or – releasing content, um, original media for Netflix and so forth. Because the thing is, they're handing you, when they go out and they shoot stuff, you know, they may be spending $100,000, you know, per day. They may be spending, they're they're spending millions on the content. So they can't just hand the stuff over to an editor who um, isn't going to turn that into a film that looks like a film and isn't capable of delivering all the stuff that the, the, uh, that they need or the distributors need when they're selling the content worldwide. So, I mean, yeah. the guy. Ultimately, the guy who ends up um, manipulating all of the content and all of all the different kinds of content into a final product is the editor. So I can see, you know, you do need somebody who's seasoned. I think it's um, if you to work, you know, to work at the sort of top of the industry, it's not going to be something they do. Lightly. You're just not going to hand the content to anybody else. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's strange because even, you know, after having done this for, you know, 25 years as an editor, 35 in the industry, um, you know, they still drill you. They still want to know what you've done. I mean, obviously, they looked at your resume, but, you know, they want to have the confidence that you're going to be able to deliver a film uh, or a television show, a cable show, whatever, 
uh, and you're going to be able to solve the problems that, gonna, that are going to come up because that's the editor's job. You're a problem solver. That's the assistant's job. And invariably, you know, they want people who have been through, you know, who've been through the, uh, the you know, the training and, and, and who've been through the trenches. And, well, and also um, there's such – the size of the data that you're managing. I think one of the things that's so shocking is the size of the data that you're managing in terms of terabytes, in terms of, like, <laughs> is so massive. <clears throat> and the work that you have to do when you're creating the new new content. So you get the raw data in, you have to look at it, you start splicing it together, you start putting in all the transitions, you start putting in – and you're – it just even – one, it has to be artistically perfect. Two, it has to incorporate all these elements. And three, you have to not lose it during yeah. because you can lose hundreds of thousands, you know, of dollars worth of work. You know, if you've got a lot of people pouring content and then somehow or other it's not backed up correctly, it's not stored correctly, you know, it's not stored at the right resolution, da da da. So, which are kind of newbie mistakes. It's not mistakes that people who are seasoned make. They're they're newbie mistakes, but it's funny because I had lunch today with a sound designer friend of mine who's worked on a lot of you know huge films. Uh, you know, he he worked with Michael Mann and Pete Berg and people like that, and um, you know, and he told me that he's amazed at the at the people that kind of cross his path, who you know just don't have the training. You know, they 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 might have gone to film school, they might have worked in sort of like in, in sort of like the independent world or wherever people you know break into the business, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But again, the 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 feature and television workflows. Are very specific. They're very, you know, you know, they've been standardized to a certain extent, especially now that digital has has you know taken over. Um, animation has its own specialized workflow, you know. So uh, you really need to have some chops on that. And you know, and that's how you know I, I started out kind of like in in action and 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 sort of more dramatic stuff. And then I I got a chance to cut some comedies. And then I started only getting offered comedies, yeah. and and that's kind of like where I'm at as an editor right now. It's like, even though I cut the pilot for NYPD Blue, people know me now more as a comedy editor. And you know, you it's get a tough pit- thing. It's a tough thing. You get typecast, right? If you do anything well one time, <laughs> that like whatever you did last that you did well, that's what they're gonna that's what they're gonna come back to you for, and you'll you'll spend your whole life trying to explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Actually, it's it, it's really true, and it's the same thing with an assist, a, a great assistant editor. You know, a lot of times, you know, because it it gets tougher to make the transition because you're so good, people don't want to let you do anything else. They don't want to lose you in that role. Well, and I think you know we sort of touched on um, the fact, sort of the the background um, an editor needs in order to be allowed to handle a. a um, a big film. A lot of the people that I support are producing um, their first film, or they produce a, a number of films, that, and they're they're sort of going up higher and higher with every budget that they do. And um, could you talk for a few minutes about why an editor is key to the success of a film, and specifically why? Somebody might be people. A lot of times think they should hire. They think they know they have to hire a director. They know they have to hire um, good actors. They know they need a screenplay. But it's shocking how many people think anybody can edit their film. Do you want to talk for just a few minutes about um, when when the editor should be hired and why an editor is so key um, to ensuring that the film that you produce is going to be marketable? Well, you know, we we've touched on it a little bit. 
an editor is is it, look film is a collaborative medium and and I have no illusions and and will, would not go on to tell anyone that you know the editor you know is is sort of like working in a vacuum obviously they do a first cut the director comes in and they work for many many weeks with the director and then the producers come in and they start giving their notes and then the studios come in and they start giving their notes and then you go to previews and you start getting notes from the actual audience so it, it, it's a very collaborative effort and and there are often times when the editor will, you, you know, because of the volume of, of data that we were talking about just a minute ago, will sort of like just not even have an opportunity to see everything, you know, because you're trying to, you're under deadlines, you're moving so fast. But fundamentally, the editor assembles the first pass of the movie. You know, it's called the editor's cut. Sometimes people call it the editor's assembly and some people get, you know, edgy about it. It's really a cut. It's it's a, it's a it's a it's a fairly you know well you know sort of executed cut done in the period of time allotted, which is during production. You usually get a couple of weeks after production. Um, and but but the thing is, you really sh as the editor, you really kind of need to show the director everything they shot. So sometimes, I mean, I've worked on films where the first cut of the film was five hours long. And, and, you know, so as the editor, you obviously know you're not going to release a film in five hours, but you have to cut all the scenes. And sometimes when things are improv, you have to cut all the improv and you cut different versions of, of scenes because they were done two or three or four or five different ways. Um, and then, um, you know, you kind of really, the, the editor has to love movies and they'll have an instinct this isn't working this isn't going to end up in you know ultimately end up in the film so their taste um, isn't their taste is actually kind of um your first real world check for yeah exactly whether exactly or not the footage is good and whether or not the whether or not the film is going to work yeah i mean because you know sometimes you'll you'll put something in the first cut and 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 you know you'll know things that just they'll just never see the light of day they're just no good um and also what you're doing when you're doing your first cut is you're sort of establishing a, a rhythm uh for a lot of the movie obviously the director's going to come in and you know have have their own feelings about things but you know there's nothing sweeter then when you show the film to a director and you're working through it and they're tearing apart, you know, the scenes and stuff, but then there comes a scene where they're just like, you know, Larry, that scene plays exactly as I envisioned it or better and I don't want to touch it, you know? And it's just like, wow, that's fantastic. You know, that's a real compliment. And, you know, you ultimately end up touching it no matter what, for some reason, but y you know, it's kind of like you've laid this foundation. You've, Put a, you know, you've 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 sort of like, you know, you imbued it with a tempo and a rhythm, and 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 in television, it's even more important because there's just not a, a lot of time to rip it apart. Mm -hmm. You're on a very sort of like sort of factory kind of production, um, you know, you know, production uh, line, and you're mm -hmm. banging stuff out. So, I mean, I think. It's even more important in television sometimes because there's not a lot of times for changes. The director comes in sometimes for two or three days at the at, at, at most, 
And then, and then it's the like producer go to life. Yeah, exactly. But you asked a question, which I think is an important one, because sometimes new filmmakers, young filmmakers, they ask, when should the editor be brought on? And I've been in situations where the editor isn't brought on until after the production is finished. And that's usually a red flag um, and a potential nightmare situation, because you want to be able to create that first cut you know, as an artist, as a craftsperson, you want to be able to create that first cut in peace. And you don't want to have somebody breathing over your shoulder and, and waiting for you uh, to, to bang out scenes. Mm-hmm. And um, when, you, when you hire the editor, you know, in studio films and television, the editor is hired before the production begins, you, 99% of the time, and they start cutting the second day of dailies, uh, the second day of production, because they get the first, you know, day of dailies on the second day. Mm-hmm. And that way, it's also, you know, economically smart, because at that point, when they finish production, the editor's very close behind. And usually, I mean, I've turned over cuts in a few days, uh, up to a few weeks, and then the director can get in there. And, um, you know, you can stay on schedule. So, and if you I, see, I, and is it possible that you that as an editor, when the shooting the stuff the stuff's coming in and you're cutting it, that you'll notice that there's something missing, or that um, there's there's a transition that wasn't made, or something's not clear, that absolutely. you can actually you can and they still have the sets up, they still have the actors, everybody's in place, you can actually send them back right then instead of having to try to reassemble that six months later. Exactly, and and you know I'm I'm able to create you know. Uh, QuickTime files, and I'm able to send them to the director and say, wouldn't it be great, you know, do you think it would be okay if you got this insert of this, or maybe, like you say, uh, are you happy with this transition? And, uh, you know, you can sort of like get real-time feedback, uh, you know, and, and again, solve problems as they're shooting. And like you say, you know, before they wrap stats and move on to different locations that they're not going to go back to. And uh, that's another reason to have an editor on early and, you know, sort of be sort of like, you know, the scout for anything that might be uh, problematic. Mm-hmm. And also they can confirm that the data is, you know, the data is actually coming in right because you never can tell. You know, everybody's shooting on all these digital cameras. You're often shooting with multiple cameras. So the yeah. editor is going to be the one that looks at the data that's coming in and gone, okay, well, if we didn't want to have all the frames, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. this camera would from be a, good, but we actually, <laughs> it actually drops out. It's kind of a drag. <laughs> from a purely uh, technical standpoint, absolutely. You're, 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 you're doing QC on the, on the material. I mean, a certain amount of that is done at the laboratory, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the post house that, that either does dailies or processes some stuff. But I've been on films where we process the stuff in the cutting room. You know, we've sunk... Even on naked, we we sunk our dailies in the cutting room. You know, there are ways to uh, mm-hmm. to you know save money and and things like that. But absolutely, I mean, as soon as you see a digital hit on a shot, you've got to flag it and you've got to you know get it to uh, the director and say, are you okay with this? Can we can we live with this? And now, of course, you know, unless it's really really bad, you can fix a lot of stuff with, with you know. With, with digital, uh, with CGI and things like that. Well, you can, but I mean, it still costs. So you know, that's never a good, good thing. So it sounds like you're saying that the, to a significant degree, the 
editor is a, a, a kind of a true uh, true partner to the to making sure the director actually gets what he wants. So it's pretty important to hire pretty early on, just because you yes. want to make sure that they they're on board with the vision and that the the film's getting cut as quickly as possible. Yeah, and, and and I mean, if you look at it, look at the the director editor relationships like Marty Scorsese and Thelma Schoolmaker, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Lindsay and and Jodie Foster, uh, Richie Marks and Jim Brooks, who worked together for years and years on, you know, it's you develop this sort of like trust, and you develop this, um, you know, you you find out that you have similar tastes, and you develop also, which is you know kind of like the nicest part, you develop a shorthand where you know you're working through a scene and both of you the director and yourself will have the same idea at the same time and you know you'll execute the idea before the director it comes out of the director's mouth and they'll say something like I was just going to say that you know right. and that's a great place to be you know I kind of have that uh, relationship with the director that I've worked with on the last two films Mike Titus um he's a super talented guy and um, he is um, somebody who's super talented on the technical end. He really knows every one of the gadgets on the set, the cranes, the cameras, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, he's he's great at story, and he's really funny, and he appreciates editing, he respects it. So it's kind of like I, I finally, after all of these years, have gotten into an ideal situation, with, working situation with the director. Um, that just makes that makes the whole process just a lot more fun. Can you talk for a few minutes about so there's a there's a film editor and then there's the post production supervisor and my understanding is the post production supervisor is basically responsible for um, making sure he's like an administrative position in terms of making sure that all the deliverable and all the requirements are met to actually you know pump things into the market the editor is the creative guy that's actually doing all of the work. But the guy that's sort of keeping track of what gets sent is yes. the post-production supervisor. Is that is that accurate? That that is accurate, and you know it's it's something that has evolved. Uh, you know, uh, during the period of time of you know I've been working in the business, you used to have sort of like a post-production supervisor at the studio who would oversee and kind of do that role for almost every movie. But again, those were simpler times, and because the logistics of digital and visual effects and the number of films and the size of the films uh, got so much more complex, um, you, you know, the the role of the post-production supervisor really kind of came into its own. And I mean, because I worked with editors who sort of like did that, you know, that's what mm-hmm. they did. They, you know, they sort of gaffed the the administrative side as well as 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 well as the creative side but it because things ha- got more complex and because uh the director and the editor didn't really want to be bothered with that administrative stuff uh, that role sort of really grew and uh and now it's 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 critical i mean i couldn't imagine doing the things that they do because it it would just take too much too much time away from actually plowing through all the material you have to go through. Are they the one who serves? So they do. I'm thinking they actually do more than just the interface to the outside world, like distributors. They're also the ones who, if you, if if there's data coming in from a post-production house and data coming in from the sound people and data coming in from the music people, are they the guys that actually 
start get make sure that all of those guys' production timetables are on track so that when the time comes to create the film, you're getting the data that you need from all of those sources as well. In other words, you can say, I need this, this, and this, and somebody else has to go find it because <laughs> I have to cut yeah, this film. You know, I it, can't play with this. <laughs> Every film is different, and every mm-hmm. post-production supervisor kind of like has their own uh, their own style. Mm-hmm. But you know, quite often the post-production supervisor will work very closely with the assistant editor mm-hmm. in terms of making sure all of that stuff, um, all the throughput is happening. You know, mm-hmm. all the timetables are being met, and um, you know, and obviously the director and the editor, and, and sometimes just not even the directors. Sometimes the editor will just be you know sort of clued in on everything and you know they'll bless it and they'll say yeah that sounds good but i but i gotta tell you that you know these days uh you know we did our last film for netflix uh naked and in Mm -hmm. in um about about 30 days of production they shot over 130 hours of film okay that's over um that's close to a million feet of film and you know, it took Francis Coppola three years, you, you know, to shoot, <laughs> uh, or a year uh, and three years to complete uh, to shoot a million feet of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, so again, the 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 paradigm has shifted that there's so much volume because of digital cinematography. You've eliminated the cost of the lab to a great extent. And you don't have to turn off the camera. It's just like your digital camera at home. I mean, how many times do you shoot like a hundred shots of something um, uh, just to you know figure out where am I going to put that on my hard drive? Uh, it's because it's easy and it's free essentially. And and so the volume of material that editors are getting these days is just it's it's overwhelming to a certain extent. And 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 on the bigger films, you're you, you know you have. More than one editor, you have two, three, four, sometimes more, more than that, and um, and again because of that workload, you've really kind of, you really need another person working, you know, with your assistant to make sure you, you know all of all of the uh, all of the uh, timetables and and schedule stuff is is being uh, is being coordinated and, and executed on time. Do you think that there's um do you see when you're looking at um, films that are shot that way with sort of the infinite number of takes that are, you can, you know, 20 takes of every scene or whatever, do you think that there's a cost to doing that in terms of people getting exhausted because from the from the first four or five days of the shoot, you know, where they're doing every scene 20 times? Does it give them less sort of energy when they get to the end of the film and they've still got, you know, I mean, I, that seems like it would be incredibly grueling to do 20 takes of every scene. Well, you know, I mean, you know, everybody has their own, you know, everybody has their own sort of working methods and their own style and their own sort of like uh, stamina level. Uh, I, I, I remember being at the end of shoots on film back in the film days, and people were exhausted just the same. You're you're exhausted at the end of a shoot, from my experience, no matter what you're shooting on. I don't necessarily know that that, that digital makes it any tougher. I, I just think that everybody kind of, you know, works works in their own style, and... Mm-hmm. Um, and some people thrive on it. Some people thrive on the spontaneity of not having to uh, cut after mm-hmm. every, you know, after every take. 
and just, okay, let's do it again. Okay, let's do it again. You know, because you don't have to, um, you know, stop. And when you stop on set and there's 150 or 200 people around, you know, it it's tough to get those people quiet again and, and, yes. and, and ready to do another take. So again, it's sort of like keeping the energy level up. I don't know, you know, I'm not on set, but I would imagine that there's a certain amount of, uh, uh, certain level of, of, of burnout that you, you, you get working at that kind of level of intensity. But some people thrive on it. Well, I think it also may be different. I mean, there's some, some there's sort of the notion of loosely scripted things these days, which you know, which is actually all of Apocalypse Now, but they didn't know that's what it was called. Um, yeah. Right. But uh, the loosely scripted stuff, where they actually the, they actually do sort of find things through through performance. It's, I don't know. I've just I've seen a couple of times where I'm just like, I don't if I if I have to do if I have to watch the scene again, I don't know how much energy I'm going to have, and also I don't know which take you're going to like. So yeah. you know, if I have to go through 20 takes, how do I know that uh, you know maybe my first take is going to be the you know the the third take, but the my co-stars best take is going to be the the fifth take. So does that mean we're going to have to do 20 takes to try to get one where we're, we both did those great performances again? It's like, it's just very stressful. So Well, you know, um, sometimes that is the case. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's where we get involved. And, 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 and we, you know, we pace those things together. And then you've got guys like David Fincher who shoot mm-hmm. stuff in a manner that they can actually use one side of the frame from one take and right. the other side of the frame from another take. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, again, digital sort of like lets you do that. And, it, you know, and it's fantastic because he's getting really what he wants. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you've got 20 or 30 takes or something, I mean, it, you know, it just it comes down to a matter of, of opinion. I, I, You know, I think that, you know, any number of those 20 or 30 takes might make for a fine performance. That's but true. you know again at that point you're just trying to make you you you've got a job to make one movie. <laughs> I mean you you can make you know 10 movies out of out of the volume of of material that's being delivered today. So it's just a matter of you know deciding on on the one that you know everybody thinks is best. Well and actually I've heard somebody say you know film is never finished it's just abandoned we know <laughs> You just give up. That's well, a, I guess it's done because I don't want to work on it anymore. <laughs> that's that's John Ford. Yes, absolutely. A famous quote from, from John Ford. And it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, at a certain point, you know, you just can't, you don't know how much more you can look at it. And it gets <laughs> tough. And that's why people, you know, and that's why people, you know, get removed from films. Uh, from the director to the editor, um, they think, well, they're not fresh anymore, and we need a, you know, a it fresh pair wallpaper. of It does turn into wallpaper at some point. You just go, I, I, I can recite the dialogue. I can actually recite you know, the 110 minutes of this film. I know every word. <laughs> I can tell you when the music's coming in. I, I can't look at it with fresh eyes. Every time I see a change, it just disturbs me because I can already recite this film, you know? Yeah. So. Yep. No, that, that's, that's part of the... Uh, that's part of the job, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know you you learn to try to maintain your objectivity as best as you can, and then again, uh, other people are contributing at a certain yes. point, and they're giving your feedback, and that's and that's the, uh, very helpful. I mean, when you show it to an audience, that's the true test of uh, of 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 what the film has to offer, and and whether or not it's going to be a commercial film or not. <laughs> that's true. Um, so 
if people are just so in the indie film world, when people yeah. are looking to hire film editors to work on their feature, and they're they're shopping for them, you know, sort of um, in um, development or, or early pre-production, what kind of characteristics would you have them look at? Would you have them look at their um, simply look at their list of credits and more credits, you know? have them look at their credits or would you have them look at people who are producing similar kinds of content to what they want to create or um, would you go like and and where would you shop would you look on production hub like how if you were shopping for a film editor for an independent film where would you look well I think that you know again I can only speak from my own experience I think that most people find their their editors through the agencies uh, you know, there's uh, all the big agencies have have below the line divisions, mm-hmm. and uh, all of the uh, almost every working editor I know has an agent uh, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. So you know, I think the producers and 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 the directors uh, go through and get resumes and get submissions, and they look at those credits and they see what resonates with them. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of times it just comes down to a director loving a movie that an editor directed, uh, excuse me, that an editor cut, uh, and um, just like, you know, it could be a movie that they saw in high school and or college, and it was just, you know, like kind of a seminal film for them, and they just want that person to cut that movie. Um, with the independents, though, I mean, you know, it's funny, with the independents, they're because I've been on a lot of interviews with uh, on smaller films and things like that, um, they're always looking for you know the top flight editors. They mm-hmm. they want quite often the people who cut you know like you know the big big movies, and and you know I guess the agents try to explain to them you know they're not in your budget. You know it's mm-hmm. it's so you have to consider what is in the budget to pay an editor. And, you know, that's uh, a great opportunity for younger editors and editors without as many credits to get a shot because Mm -hmm. they're willing to work for a price and, um, you know, and they they want to prove themselves. And I think that for indies, you know, uh, again, when you're when you're working on a limited budget. That's that's something that you should you know you should really take into consideration. Who's this person? And then of course ask the you know talk to the people they've worked with, talk to the editors they've worked with, talk to um, you know the producers and directors they've worked with, and find out what kind of person that you know they are to work with. Because you know that's the other part of the equation. I mean, someone could have awesome credits and be a total pain in the ass to work with. I mean, you're going to be locked in a room with this person from you know, for anywhere from six to ten months or longer, uh, you got to get along. You know, they, you know, they've got to have sort of like a personality that you can tolerate, and and vice versa. You know, the editor's got to be able to tolerate the director's personality. Mm-hmm. It's true. People have to be in sync in order to be able to stand each other for long yeah. periods of time required to edit the film. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's a little like a marriage. You know, mm-hmm. you, you 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 know you're in those rooms for many hours, and like you say, you're looking at stuff over and over again. And there are external pressures from the producers and the studios on the director, and you've got to be able to kind of like, you know, sort of like navigate that uh, that those kind of like you know emotional sort of you know speed bumps and 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 you know the pressures. Uh, 
and, and and the same thing goes for you. I mean, you know, as an editor, I mean, you're a human being. You have a family of responsibilities. You've kind of got to figure out, you know, how to, you know, sort of like, you, you know, what's the what's the expression people use? Uh, compartmentalize. <laughs> well, and I you think in, in this town, in this town, it's you know, some of the most creative people are not necessarily some of the easiest to work with. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's nice when the when somebody that you're working with is actually very pleasant and straightforward. It's something certainly to look for, but uh, you have to, you have to kind of figure out what you can tolerate, what you can't. Yeah. You know, everyone has their moments. I, you know, we're all human, but um, you know, I've, I've found that some of the, um, uh, some of the most, uh, some of the best people uh, are also some of the most talented. I don't Mm -hmm. think you necessarily have to be a crazy person to uh, be successful or be creative. I don't think so either but it's shocking how many how much of the time the the idea of the of the demanding genius how common that idea is and I think sometimes people actually become more demanding because they think that that's how you know you're a genius is because you're demanding and people let you get away with it or something so I mean it's not all the, it's not all the time it's just the nature of the business that and again I think with editing because it is a very um time consuming activity it does push people to the limit you know yeah i i, I mean i agree I, I you know i think i think that uh, the, the idea of the you know the crazy artist is is somewhat of a you know a, somewhat of a cliche frankly mm-hmm. i i don't think that we need to you know we need to you know beat each other up to uh to, you know i i think that people who are who are who are too off the wall need to get on some sort of medication frankly yeah. <laughs> you know i mean you know this is this is 2018 there are there are ways to there are uh, drugs you should get there them. are drugs for those people <laughs> um but really i mean you, you know it's like you know when you're a kid though when you're first starting out you're willing to put up with anything and you know and when you're a kid and you're a director and you're first starting out you're 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 off the wall anyway so yeah. you know there are so many factors i don't know i think i've mellowed with age is what i'm trying to say and um I don't let things get to me like I used to as an editor. I don't let things – I don't take things um, as personally, and um, I don't have as big of an ego about about um, my work, whereas I used to get defensive about things, and this is my cut and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that will uh, that will not serve you as an editor. I've Trust me, from experience, uh, I it is the director's film to a great extent, and the, and the studio's film, and you're there to uh, help them uh, see their vision, and it's best to be someone who can work with people, and 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 really, I mean, I think that there that that I think that kind of time has passed in the industry. You know, the the whole idea of, of you know, the, the whole kind of concept of the auteur, I think, is also yeah, something yeah. that's a bit of an anachronism. Mm-hmm. Or, or I think, I think I was just, I was just going to mention, or just going to ask you about, I mean, there are indie, indie filmmakers who really do consider themselves to be sort of auteurs. They sort of, they like, um, and they, and for that reason, they have a strong desire to learn how to cut their own productions. And it doesn't mean that they wouldn't choose to work with an editor. They just want to understand the technology. Or when they're first creating their films, their first films, they want to be able to do the editing because they are creating their first, their brand. They're creating their first unique vision. Mm-hmm. 
Can can you talk for a little bit about? Is, do you think it's a good idea for for um, indie filmmakers to um, invest the time and effort required to learn how to edit films, their first films, just so they can get what they want? Or do you think it's they should just start learning how to work with um, professional you know, I, editors? I, 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 I I don't think that it's a bad idea. Um, you, you know, it it's it gives them the ability to just understand what a what a, an editor does. Um, but I think that in the long run, it's it's counterproductive. I think that having an editor put together your film and give you a fresh perspective on the material, if for no other reason, is that just you, you know you can grab some new ideas. You can you can you know look at it you know with fresh eyes. Um, you can always go back and try to assemble it the way, or tell the editor to assemble it the way that you thought it should be assembled. I mean that's what directors do. But but you know, I mean just just from sort of just an experiential standpoint going through those, you know, challenges of trying to solve the problems that editors have to solve. I I, I think it's probably real good. I, I would assume that that's what a lot of directors who come up in film school do, you know, they they probably do a lot of their own cutting and you know, a lot of people who are kind of, you know, working on their own these days and in the brave new world of, of content creation mm-hmm. are doing a lot of the things on their own. But, you know, again, when you've got, uh, when you've got uh, such a huge burden on you, if you're working on a movie and it's a hundred million dollar mm-hmm. budget, I mean, you've got a lot of people on your back. Yeah, no, I think, I think, as the, I think as the budget goes up, it becomes impractical. I guess it's just a question of, you know, people that are working on, you know the five hundred. You know people work on the hundred thousand, five hundred thousand. They get up into the you know million, two million, three million, five million dollar films. And as the budget goes up, they do end up working with professional um, editors. Right. But the question is whether or not it, you think it's beneficial for them to actually get some kind of formal training in film editing, so that or and and actually practice what they learn to the extent that they can actually work more efficiently with their editor or whether and whether or not or whether or not you think you know there's a reason why there's a division between the job of directing and you know writing directing and editing <laughs> like there's a reason that's usually Let me put it this way and, I, and let me put it this way and I don't know if it's just because you know I'm 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 getting older but if I was a director I wouldn't want to do any editing and I wouldn't want to really you know be on the machine um, I'd want to sort of look at it from an objective standpoint. You know, there are guys who cut, though. I mean, you know, Jim Cameron cuts on all of his films, and he takes an editor's credit. Right. Um, you know, uh, and again, if you're working in a world where you're working on a million-dollar budget, you might not have a, a choice but to cut the movie yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, strictly from a you know financial standpoint. So, uh, but but in in terms of you, you know. That's what's nice about the studio system. That's what's nice about the the system as it's as it has you know be evolved in Hollywood. You've got different people who are specialists at their craft, and you know they they work together to you know to create something that ultimately will you know sort of fulfill you, you know the objective of the script uh, and the objective of the producers and the and, and the financiers, but. Um, you know, it, again, we're in we're in this new world where you can shoot a movie with your digital camera in 4K, 
and or, 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 or you know your iPhone for God's sakes. Yep, people like and what's that? What was the name of that movie? Tangerine did that. They shot it Tangerine on like three that, or four yeah. iPhone fives. You know. Sure, you know, and 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 I am completely supportive of of that sort of democratization of the of 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 the media. I mean, I think that's great. Um, but that's a different world, you know. That's not the world that I, I sort of really. That's kind of like my my fantasy fantasy world. I I love the idea of kind of like you know these new tools and these. In fact, I was at Best Buy recently looking at these drones, and I thought, oh, you can get these fantastic you know aerial shots. And oh, I know you you have to stay away. Like you cannot go to those conferences <laughs> where they have the big drones. Like they got some that'll carry that are like that are like weigh seventy pounds. And they can shoot like in every direction at once, and you're like, I need it for things. I <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to shoot it with, but I need it though. <laughs> but but could you imagine? Like I I, I can't imagine because I don't have this capacity. I'm not a writer. I'm mm-hmm. not a director. I'm not you know I'm not one of these triple threats. Uh, but could you imagine being one of those people who you know in this day and age and being like I don't know 21 or 22 years old yeah. and having all of these tools at your disposal and and just like being able to go to town uh it, it's it's fantastic what you could do i mean it, you know of course you need to work with actors and 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 get talented people but um but you could really do some amazing stuff i mean some of the some of the young directors out there are are just doing such imaginative, inventive stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a I, day. There's going to be a day where we are. Somebody's going to come along who really does, um, who just makes it look so incredibly easy. I mean, I remember when people first saw Francis Ford Coppola or these guys working, The Godfather. You know, who who would have thought you could make that interesting? It's just a bunch of guys. You know, it's a bunch of good old boys, and they're just. I mean. Yeah, there's a few shootings, but somehow or other he elevated that to something that was way beyond what anybody else had done with that. I mean, I think there's still people out there kind of doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you know, I mean, films like, uh, you know, Birdland and Mm -hmm. uh, so inventive and, and, you know, Del Toro's films, I think, are, are, you know, just, you know, obviously Shape of Water has been nominated and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's such an interesting, you know, sort of, approach to filmmaking. I mean, Pan's Labyrinth was, was certainly one of my favorite films of mm-hmm. of that year. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have this amazing, you know, sort of sense of vision, visual style. A lot of the really amazing directors that I've worked with are, you know, artists, you know, they're, they're, right. they, they, they can draw, they can, you know, they can communicate their vision to the people that they're working with. And that's a real gift, you know? I think so. So if if somebody is a filmmaker and they want to um pick up uh an understanding of the art of editing, is it is it um is mastertheworkflow.com something that they should take a look at or is it only really for people who want to work inside the studio system? No, I absolutely think that you know th- but it's not really about the art of editing. We're not really teaching the aesthetics of editing and I you mm-hmm. know, I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. Um I think that that's sort of like for me that's kind of like a personal journey. I mean that, that's something mm-hmm. you kind of do in, in, in sort of film theory classes. Right. But I don't feel that you can really learn the aesthetics of editing truly until you have actually sat down in front of you know uh, a computer and started editing. So this you know, is a, that, so master the workflow is teaching you the the um, the actual workflows 
where the data comes in, what you do in what order, um, why this happens before this, why hap why this has to happen after that. Um, yeah, I mean, it 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 enables you to uh, it enables you to have the skills to get yourself into a cutting room mm -hmm. because a cutting room and that environment is where you're going to learn editing. You know, a lot of times by osmosis because what happens is is that me and the director will work on a uh, on a scene uh for a while and then we'll say to the assistant hey come in here and and tell us what you think of this mm -hmm. you know and being the assistant you will have had uh, some real familiarity with the material because you'll have input it you'll have sunk it um and so on and so forth and and sometimes you know the assistant will turn to us and go you know there was a take where you know Joe did this with his eyebrows or something like that and and i mean that's the editing process you know to a great mm -hmm. extent it's it's sort of like the discovery of of what you have and and so as an assistant editor the reason we wanted to create a, a course to train assistant editors was to get people actually in cutting rooms and mm -hmm. be qualified to 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 work in the environment where films are made now it's not the you know the purely creative work of the director and the editor, but mm -hmm. it's the first foot. It's it's the first foot in the door. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think it's a it's a difference. I mean, there's different tracks in the entertainment industry. Some people are going to be coming up through. Some people are going to go through the studio system and end up becoming, um, you know, people that make, uh, you know, the hundred million, three hundred million you know, half billion dollar films and then some people are gonna be coming up, you know, <laughs> they're gonna be like Bloomhouse, you know, producing six million dollars. <laughs> the six million dollar projects first, to start. My first film that I did with the guy who who who, who directed Naked mm -hmm. was a two and a half million dollar film. Right. But we still right. had three assistants on that film because wow. of the volume of material. So uh, you don't it, we we don't necessarily have to we're not necessarily talking about hundred million dollar movies. We're talking about all movies, independent films. They all have an assistant editor. That's know? true. That's actually, and that represents a huge opportunity. You know, the fact that people, even if you're going to produce your own films, being able to work as a um, uh, assistant editor for somebody for two or three productions, that may, may well teach you a lot of things you need to know oh, <laughs> when you're working again, on your own projects. Again, this was the conversation I was having, you know, with with my friend uh, this um, this afternoon at lunch. Uh, he was like, you know, you could go to film school and you could, um, you know, study film, or you can go to work at 18 years old, and by the time you're 22, you will have developed a whole network of relationships and a whole set of skills. Now, this I'm not discounting going to film school. It's a, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a fine thing if you can afford it and and, right. and, and if you can do it. But it's not a prerequisite for becoming a filmmaker. It certainly isn't, you know, it wasn't for Steven Spielberg. It wasn't for Jim Cameron. You, you know, it wasn't for, um, uh, you, you know, a, a lot of people. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that my point and part of the reason to create Master of the Workflow um, was to prepare people so they can just get in a cutting room. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because again, once you find yourself there, your whole world changes. All the opportunity changes. The people that you're going to meet, the relationships you're going to develop. Mm -hmm. um, you know, depending on when and where you start, you know, they will last a lifetime, and 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 the skills that you'll develop will 
be skills that you'll build upon. So it's not about budget. It's not necessarily – I mean, yeah. You're right. I mean, sense. I have friends who work on $100 million films. My ex-assistant works uh, on, on all the Marvel films. Of, you know, she did yeah. Iron Man and stuff like that. She um, – they have crews of, of four and five and six assistants. Wow. Yeah. It's a huge. It's a huge. Uh, you're, it's a very. You've made a lot of really good points about you know sort of your path through the entertainment industry. So the first question I get, I don't know if it's a question that anybody can really um, answer in the main. Uh, how much? How much do you pay um, a professional editor? Is it, does that vary based upon the project that people decide the budget of the project um, that you're working on significantly? Like in other words, so if you've got a, a five hundred thousand. Um, budget, it's going to be vastly different than the amount that you pay to hire an editor on a $3 million project. Is, well, you know. um, there's one critical issue uh, that that uh, determines that, and that is whether or not it's a union film or whether or not it's a non-union film. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a non-union film, everything's fair game. Mm-hmm. A producer or a director or whoever can offer you whatever they want, and there are many people who will take whatever they offer because, again, you're getting an opportunity. Now, however, if it's a union film, union there's a union contract, and if it's a um, – it, it goes by tiers. So if it's under a certain budget, if it's under $5 million, for example, it's a tier one. And then there's a scale for an editor on a tier one project, and I think it's something like twenty five hundred dollars a week. Are you guys um, covered by IATSE, or what's your which union are you guys um, covered by? Yes, absolutely. The uh, Motion Pictures Editor Motion Picture Editors Guild is Local Seven Hundred, mm-hmm. and that's all editors, assistants, um, story editors, sound editors, music editors, wow. and mixers. So uh, and 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 people who work in the background and sound like the recordists and things like that, mm-hmm. not production people, not production mixers. That's a different union. But um, so then you you know you've got the different tiers, and once you get over a certain tier, if it's a fairly large scale studio film, um, the scale for an editor is something like it's about three thousand dollars a week. Thirty mm-hmm. thirty excuse me, it's it's something like thirty two hundred a week now. And, you know, that's for, you know, right around, you know, ballpark, same features in television. But most people cutting features, uh, you know, are are getting above scale. That makes total and, sense. And then, and then, you know, and then you're paid overtime for weekends, which you work quite often, mm-hmm. and um, and holidays and stuff. And, you you know, you get medical coverage and things like that. And you know, I'm I'm a big sort of supporter of the union, the craft unions in Hollywood mm-hmm. because yeah, they too. protect people. They give people the opportunity to you know have medical insurance and and things like that. So uh, I would I would advocate for people trying to get into the union as quickly as possible. And that kind of leads um, into our next question. It sounds um, somebody asked how what hours do you usually work? And because I think. Normal, you know, are you working the sort of normal twelve-hour shoot day that people work? You know, pretty, which pretty is common much. in the I mean, commas for production, or are you? Do you work um, sort of a different set of hours? You know, uh, when I, you know, again, when I was younger, when I started out, I would work um, 
pretty long hours. As an assistant, you work longer hours than your editor because mm -hmm. there's things that you have to take care of after they leave that you can't take care of while they're there. Um, and and it's different in different parts of the uh, parts of the production. Like during dailies, it's very intense. The film's coming in. You've got to mm -hmm. prepare it for the editor. Um, when you're turning over for sound and finishing, there's kind of like a period in the middle there where it, where it gets a little bit mellower. But you know, you can almost guarantee, uh, you know, a minimum of ten hours, usually closer to twelve or fourteen hours a day for for most assistants. Most editors work. Um, they're contracted to work an 11.6 hour day. Um, I try not to work over 10 hours a day. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. Um, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be perfectly frank. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I burn out after a certain time, a certain period of time. And, 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 you know, I, I think a lot of people do. I, I think once you get, once you get into your forties and, and beyond, you're, mm -hmm. you're spent by by hour 10. And again, especially when you're looking at stuff over and over again, and you're looking at it very quickly because of digital technology, I mm -hmm. think there's a, a much higher fatigue factor. So I don't know, but I know editors that work, you know, uh, again, on the bigger, you know, huge budget films, mm -hmm. uh, 12, 14 hours a day, six and seven days a week. So is it the, is it the case that, uh, I mean, so this is the kind of thing that, um, can be pretty hard on a family life, so it may not be the case. It may be the case that you do a production, rest up for a while, and then do another production. So you're not like totally killing yourself on the. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of of freelance work is that you're on a film for six months, you know, sometimes ten months mm -hmm. at the at the long range. You know, sometimes they last a year. Although animation films last for four years, you know. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> crazy. Um, but but yeah, you can you can get some time off and. And decompress, and uh, be with your family. Um, there's no question. It's uh, Hollywood is not a family friendly friendly industry. Uh, you know, uh, in spite of what they might say, it's mm -hmm. very demanding, and it's uh, you shouldn't go. Uh, you and your partner should not go into it without sort of understanding the ground rules of what's required of of, of people who are who are doing the jobs. Right. Well, I think that's true for everybody that's in any kind, any aspect of the industry. You know? Absolutely. Except for writers. No. Writers basically spend all of their time waiting. <laughs> they never have and money. And movie stars. And movie stars. Movie stars seem to, you know, kind of be able to make their own schedule, even if they're on a 12-hour shoot day. They're hanging out in their trailer a lot. Well, yeah, but the difference is they're still, hopefully they're hanging out in their trailer with their with their spouse, but not their little dogs, you know, because that gets everybody <laughs> in trouble. That's true. <laughs> Anyway, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. With your permission, I'll go ahead and um, I'll um, turn this into – I'll edit this up just for um, a little little bit of brevity, make it clear. I don't think I'll have to Great. change anything that much. And then I'll make it available to um, those I support, and I'll send you over a link. And then if there's um, – does that sound pretty cool? It sounds awesome. This was a great interview. I enjoyed it so much. Um, you obviously have a lot of experience with the film industry and people who work in it, and um, you made it a, a, a real pleasure. Well, you're very sweet. I actually, I think um, I used to work for many years as um, in, I got my start in technical writing, and I was actually teaching people how to do computer aided design and animation with oh, cool. uh, Max and Maya. And so I know how big those files are, and I know what handling that data is like. And I, I just, I think, any, I think editors, I think, have the hardest job on earth because 
there's just so much of it. And it's like, and people want you to know where it is every minute, you know. They 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 mentioned some scene they did like, you know, somewhere. And you're like, they want yeah. you to know where it is. And you're like, dude. Yeah, <laughs> give me a minute. <laughs> I have to think, okay. I have memorized your entire movie, and I have to remember what I called that. It was a long well, time about, ago. Think about this. We don't even have the time to look at dailies anymore. I know, it's true. There's just no time. I mean, you're getting six, five and six hours a day of da- a day of dailies. When what? When do you have time to look at that? You have to look at it when you're cutting it. So, it's 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 a different process than than it was. I mean, I remember the dailies process when I started out. I was on terms of endearment as an apprentice, mm-hmm. and and the whole crew went. We were staying at this motel in Houston, and the whole crew went to this kind of conference room where they set up a makeshift screening room, mm-hmm. and it was like sort of like this communal thing, and we. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was kind of like a, a place where the editor got the first vibe about the performances and mm-hmm. and, and the material, and and you know, it, it just doesn't happen anymore. We we all sort of work in a in a vacuum to a certain extent. I mean, not and in if production. you were, and if you got like three, if you got three good minutes or five good minutes, you were like, yay, because you only yeah. needed ninety good minutes to make a movie, and you were like, yay, look how much we got done, and now <laughs> they're sending you six hours, you know, and you're like, seriously? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and and three of its plates for visual effects. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Too many. What is this thing I'm looking at? I don't even yeah. know what this is. <laughs> looking at a blank wall with a ball, a silver ball. What does that mean? You know. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes very existential at three in the morning. I'm sure. <laughs> this is yeah, my life. <laughs> very. Yes. You start you a lot of self-examination at that point. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're wonderful. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. And um, I it must be a true pleasure to work with you on the project. Oh, thank you so much. I, I look forward to uh, to hearing what you come up with. Right. Excellent, man. Okay. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.